outline in your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, put up your hand, and I'm going to ask Bert, Bert Cusick to go over and grab a couple more bulletins, because you're going to need a sermon outline this morning, I think, in order to stay with me. So put up your hand if you did not get one, and Bert will be happy to bring one down to you. <clears throat> and as you get that, you'll notice on the back of the sermon outline are the scripture texts I want to draw to your attention, and if you would turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Bert, we need a few more for the musicians up front here. And as we read these 10 verses, starting in verse 21, I'm, I'm following an outline from the commentaries, one uh, by David Gordon, who says what Paul does here is he presents to us one more illustration, he explains what he wants us to understand, and then he applies it to the circumstances at Galatia and at the North Shore Community Church in Oyster Bay, New York. So hear the word of the Lord. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So far, the reading of God's Word. When I was in high school, I took a chemistry class in the 10th grade. And there were two great things about that class. The first thing about that class is that it was not the honors chemistry class. All the smart chemistry students were in that class. The second great thing was that this teacher, I still remember him, Mr. Warchell, this teacher graded on a curve. And you know what that means? This was really great. Because that means that what he would do is he would take the highest score on the test and he made that 
the new 100%, and then he recalculated all the other scores on a bell curve, and uh, uh, keeping everybody else in mind, most of the folks are just right in the middle, and for me, that was just great. Made it easy to get a B or a C in that class, because all the advanced students were where? (laughs) They were in the honors chemistry class. That's called grading on a curve. Now, let's be honest. That's what most people think God does. Most people think that God grades on a curve. And He looks at our behavior. And sure, there are a few high achievers up there, but most of us are in the class sort of in the middle, and there might be a couple who fail. Oh, there's Billy Graham and Mother Teresa up there. Then the rest of us, regular folk, and Hitler, he gets the F. And that's how most people think. Jefferson Bethke, in his book, uh, comments on this whole idea, and he writes this, but the truth is, God doesn't grade on a curve. God grades on a cross. And what Bethke says, he says, trying to be good enough to earn heaven is like trying to jump to Hawaii from the coast of California. Some people jump in the water, they might even drown. Some people get three feet, other people get ten feet. But nobody gets anywhere near Hawaii. Now, if you think that way, I understand, because I used to think that way. And I remember my whole teenage and young adult life was always just trying to show everybody that I was a decent person. I was an okay guy, and what I wanted more than anything else was to get your approval. I wanted my parents' approval. I wanted my teacher's approval. And then there were all those girls out there. I wanted their approval. I wanted my buddies, my peers' approval. And so what I did is I would figure out what their expectations were, and I would try and outwardly perform in such a way that they would approve of me. And I figured that God was just like that. If I look good on the outside, you'll like me and approve of me and accept me, and God grades on a curve, and I'm somewhere in the middle of the pack, and that's fine. The Apostle Paul, in our passage this morning, comes to the conclusion of the second portion of the book of Galatians. The first two chapters are all about the crisis that is occurring in the church at Galatia. The second, and I'm sorry, the first two chapters of that, the third and the fourth chapter are all about the theology of how Paul refutes the heretics who come into the church and are preaching a false gospel. And you remember what has happened. Some people have come from Jerusalem, and they have snuck into the church among the Gentiles at Galatia, and they taught that in order to receive the benefits of the work of Jesus Christ, you must first 
be circumcised. That is, you must be identified with what we call the Sinai Covenant. Do you remember that? Way back in Exodus 19 and 20, when God established a covenant with Israel at where? Mount Sinai. So when we speak of the Sinai Covenant, we're talking about that covenant made with Israel as a nation that's recorded in Exodus 19 or in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And, and the covenant is made at Sinai and the people stood and said, we will keep everything written in the book of the law and we will do it. And then the blessings of God will fall upon our heads in the land. And so Paul is very concerned about these heretics who've come into the church and are teaching you must keep the Mosaic law in order to receive the blessings of Jesus Christ, in order to please God. And he, he again, for four, and four chapters, he is like lightning and thunder. And we've been studying this together until we, we just, he has this magnificent statement of how you cannot be saved by the law. And just when you think he's finished, he says, I have one more illustration, and it's a doozy, and it's a good one, and the good preachers do that. They save their best illustration for last, and this illustration really is a doozy. He writes to them. He says, you want the Bible, you Judaizers quoting from the law of Moses? I'll give you the Bible. I'll give you the Bible from the book of Genesis, the first book of the law. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. One more illustration. This leads us right into point number two, where Paul now wants to explain the crucial contrast between these two Mothers, two mothers issue forth two sons, and they represent two covenants. One is slavery, and one is freedom. Abraham, Abraham, you will recall, he's the father of the faithful, and Abraham had two sons, but from two different mothers. And Paul says, pay attention to these two mothers. First is by the slave. What was her name? Do you recall? Her name is Hagar, and she was the maidservant, the Egyptian slave of Sarah, the free woman. And you recall, we studied this several years ago, that these women, these two women, were in great conflict. Remember that? How does the story go? You recall. God promises Abraham descendants, but not just a descendant, but descendants that will number like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. But Abraham is old, and Sarah is barren. So Abraham gets impatient, doesn't he? He's not getting any younger, and... Uh, so what are we told? That he and Sarah agree that he shall take this slave maidservant 
this Egyptian woman named Hagar and have sexual relations with her. And indeed, she conceives and has a son and gives birth to a boy named Ishmael. Ishmael, Paul tells us, is born according to the flesh in the natural way. And we are told that when Hagar holds that boy in her hand, suddenly the slave woman rises up in arrogance and pride, and we are told she despises her mistress, Sarah. But the story's not over. Because God comes back to Abraham and Sarah, and when Abraham is a hundred years old and Sarah is dried up, God says, next year at this time, Sarah's going to have a child, and Sarah laughs, but indeed, she does conceive according to the promise, miracle of miracles, and she gives birth to a son that she names Laughter, and his name is Isaac. What are the principles at work here? Paul says, do you see the contrast? In verse 23, Ishmael is born according to the flesh, but God's grace and God's blessing does not come by the flesh. There must be the one born through the promise, or that's verse 23, or according to the Spirit, verse 29. And who is this one born wonderfully by the grace of God? It is Isaac. So he just lays it out. There's a great contrast between these two different mothers. One is a slave and one is free. One is, has a son born by the flesh. The other is born miraculously, so very different. But Paul's not done. Now he moves on in verse 24, and he begins to explain to us. So Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, and he explains to us what this is all about. Look at verse 24 again. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Do you think Paul wants to get clear who the, he repeats himself again? This is the Sinai covenant. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem where these heretics came from, these Judaizers came from. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And so Paul wants you to recognize today that the story of Abraham's sons has a deeper meaning. Sarah, the free woman, Hagar, the slave woman, stand for something. Isaac and Ishmael stand for something. Philip Ryken says in his commentary, in the eyes of God, everyone is either an Ishmael or an Isaac. Everyone is either born of Sarah or of Hagar. Everyone is either born to slavery or born to freedom. Everyone receives blessing either by the efforts of the flesh or simply by God's promise and God's grace. And he goes even deeper. 
He tells us in verse 24 that the conflict of these two women is actually a picture of the conflict between law and grace. It's a picture of the difference between two covenants. Verse 24, these women are two covenants. One is from Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, Mount Sinai in Arabia, the present Jerusalem. She's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above, the heavenly dwelling of God, she is free. You know, when this letter got to the church at Galatia, they all sit down, they're in the worship service, and it's time to read it. And as they read this letter, you can be sure that the heretics were sitting in the congregation. And as Paul read this, their teeth went on edge, and they rustled in their seat, and they stomped their feet. Because these enemies of the gospel had been saying, you need to return again to the Sinai covenant. Be circumcised. Follow the calendar. Keep kosher. Do everything that is written in the book of the law. And Paul has been thundering in Galatians 3, verse 10. He thunders it out. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Why? Because God does not grade on a curve. God's standard is perfection and holiness because God is perfect and God is holy. And so if you choose the way of the law, you place yourself again in slavery. You say, what, really, is that true? You go back to Deuteronomy 28 and 29 when the covenant is confirmed with Israel and Moses sends half of the people where? Up onto Mount Ebal. And half of the people go up onto Mount Gerizim. And they recite from Mount Ebal the blessings of God that fall upon the people for obedience. And they recite from Mount Gerizim the curses that will fall upon the transgressors of the law. And Moses says, I set before you today life and death. And the people say, yes, we will obey for you to bring blessing into the land. And that is the Sinai covenant. But in contrast is the covenant made with Abraham. And that covenant is the covenant of grace. It's not a covenant of works. It is a covenant of grace that rests on the promise of God to bless him. So Paul says, these are in conflict, and then he does something funny. He says, and do you remember where the fight between Sarah and Hagar explodes? I wonder if you remember. Do you know? It's way back in Genesis 21. Paul begins to reference the scene of Genesis 21. You remember, Ishmael's born first. Hagar despises Sarah. Now Isaac is born, the child of the promise, and the day comes for the child to be weaned. That is, he's going to live. No infant mortality with this boy. He's going to survive. And there's a big party and a great celebration, and the whole tribe is filled with joy, except, it's 
for Sarah as she turns and looks. And who does she see? She sees Ishmael mocking her son Isaac. You remember that? And it's all of a piece with the despising that the mother has, and through the mother comes to the son, and the son persecutes, Paul says, Isaac. He's picking on Isaac. He's mocking Isaac. And what does Sarah do? Fury fills her heart, and she goes to Abraham, and she says to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of my, with my son Isaac. And Abraham's like, what? Really? Really? And who speaks next? God speaks next. And God speaks to Abraham and says, Do what Sarah tells you. Cast out the slave woman and her son into the desert. And God says, I will sustain and protect them. But the promise will be fulfilled through the child of the promise and the covenant of grace that I made with you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And then, in this very complicated passage, Paul does something amazing. As he begins to quote again from the Old Testament, you expect him to go back to the catfight between Sarah and uh, Hagar, and instead he writes, for it is written, and then he quotes from Isaiah 54, the passage we read earlier in our worship service today, this marvelous messianic passage uh, where he, it's the most famous of all the barren women passages. You see, Sarah had been barren, and now there's this great barren woman who is humiliated. She's a widow. She has no children, and God promises her in this messianic age that she will have descendants that will span the globe. And David Gordon, in his comments, he says, you know what God says to this mother of Isaiah 54? He says, clear up the clutter, lady. Some of us have clutter in our houses. He says to her, clear up the clutter and put a big addition on the right side of your house and put a big addition on the left side of your house and raise the roof because you are going to have so many descendants that will come by the grace of God into your family. And we know how that comes. That comes through Jesus Christ as the four winds blow, the Spirit blows all over the world, and there are Africans and Asians and, and Latinos and Caucasians, and of, from every skin color and every tribe, the nations are brought in to the family of God through the mother who is the Jerusalem who is above. And he, all he's doing here is identifying Sarah with the great mother of Isaiah 54, who will bring in the nations. the free woman from the Jerusalem above. And so Paul gets very pointed. This leads to point number three in your outline. For you see, 
Both of the sons of both of these sons are sons of Abraham. And you must realize that Paul says, it is not enough merely to claim Abraham as your father, because both the the Judaizers and the the the, the Gentile Christians did that. What's the real question in this text? Who is your mother? Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Verse 29, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Yes, the conflict is still continuing now, but you and you and you, we are children of the promise. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And that's what we've been talking about these past weeks. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go back. Please understand. The letter of Galatians was written to people who've gone off the path, who lost their way. They began by faith in Jesus, but somehow they've been led astray off the path. They've lost all their joy, and they're trying so hard to be good Christians. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had that time in your Christian life where your joy seemed to evaporate, and you're doing your best, you're trying your hardest to be a good Christian? And what happened to the Galatians is that they had moved from reliance on Jesus back to reliance on their own religious performance. They had gone back to Hagar, back to the slave woman. And Paul says something wonderful in verse 28. Now you, brothers, now you, sisters, now you, church in Oyster Bay here today, Like Isaac, you are children of the promise. And, he, and, he, and he, he directs it directly to his beloved friends in the church. And then he gives them a command. The same command that Sarah gave to Abraham. What was it? <laughs> Paul actually gives the same, same command to the church at Galatia that Sarah gave to Abraham. What was it? Cast out the slave woman, church. Cast out the slave woman and her son. That's the, the soap opera of Genesis 21. Now is alive and well in the church at Galatia. Cast out Hagar. Get rid of those things in your life that deceive you into thinking that you can please God by your performance. You think God grades on a curve. Forget it. How do you send Hagar away? How do you send Hagar away? Martin Luther used to preach that the Christian life is spiritual warfare against the devil. And he said that when you do battle with the devil, you need to be aware that there is, he's speaking figuratively, this is not a, there is biblical warrant for this, but he says you need to be aware there is a black devil. And the black devil, he, he tempts you with adultery. And he tempts you to murder. 
and he tempts you to steal, and he tempts you to violence and to hatred. But, Luther says, your battle is also against the white devil. What does the white devil do? The white devil comes and whispers in your ear. Oh, well done. Why, you're such a fine person. Much better than that person down the pew from you, sitting next to you today. Congratulations on your performance, on your accomplishments. Ah, yes. I'm okay. You're okay. All is well because you are such a great Christian. And what's going on is the devil, the white devil, Luther says, he plays to those ways that we think that God evaluates us on a curve, uh, grades us, and, and, and we're just, everything is just fine. You see, because we live this way. We judge ourselves in comparison with others in everything. What kind of parent are you? Well, I'm better than him, but I'm not as good as he is. What about your appearance? How do I look today? And the bondage that we are in because of our appearance. And at work, it's all about performance. And, and if we are honest, we grade ourselves in terms of the performance of our morality. This is where the white devil and the black devil have a great time dancing on your head. Because some of us, some of us listen to the white devil who says, you're better than those bums over there. Congratulations for your superior standing. But some of us, some of us are more self-aware, perhaps, and we see that we're not as good as the person down the row, and we fall to despair, and we feel without hope. see, we think that God looks at us the way we look at us. Shall I say that again? We think that God looks at us the way we look at us. And for some of us, we just, we look at us like the white devil tells us we are. We're just so much better than everybody. And some of us, we look at ourselves the way the black devil uh, tells us we are. You are an utter, pathetic, terrible failure. And we think that's how God sees us. But the Bible tells us that the children of the promise are seen by God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That His blood covers our sin and makes us clean before Him. And that His righteousness is credited to our account. So He looks at us and He sees us as clean before Him. And the love that he has for us is the love he has for Jesus. How can this be? How can this be? And this is amazing. You need to remember that not only was Hagar cast out into the wilderness, but Jesus Christ was cut off and sent out into the wilderness. The only difference is that God spared Hagar and he crushed his own son for our iniquities. 
Jesus is the scapegoat who goes out into the wilderness and dies for us on Golgotha, on the stinking refuse heap on a cross. Oh, my friends, this is the gospel that we must remember. Get rid of Hagar. Get rid of that self-condemnation that you have, that you put yourself down because you aren't as good a mother or good a father or you don't have as thin a waist or you don't have as much money or you don't drive as nice a car or you don't attend church as often or you don't go to Sunday school as many times as you should and all these things. And cast out today the slave woman who puts you in bondage that is slavery. Don't be bewitched, point number four. Don't go back to slavery. And I'll give you a hint for next week. Paul says in Galatians 5, 3 and 4, I testify again, it's there in the back of your outline, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. George Whitfield used to preach to, the, to thousands of people in the open air, out in the fields, in the countryside. And Whitfield used to preach, and he would say, before you can speak peace to your heart, you must confess your need for God's grace and repent of three things. What are they? You see them in your outline. First, repent of your sins. What are they? Your actual transgressions the things you think, do, and say that are contrary to God's holy nature. Those are your sins. Confess them. Forsake them. Take them to the cross. But then Whitfield would thunder out and he says, but before you do that, you must repent of your self-righteousness. Oh my. What does he mean by this? And Whitfield says, you must be suspicious of your best duties and performance. Whitfield says, you know what that's like? That's like Adam and Eve when they put on the fig leaves to cover their nakedness. And when you become proud of your performance, I put a nickel in the offering plate and God must be pleased with me. When you are proud of your performance, Whitfield says, no, the white devil is at your ear. Repent of self-congratulations and self-righteousness yourself. And then thirdly, he says, repent of your lack of trust in Christ's righteousness. And ask yourself, today, do I trust in the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus for me? When you take communion this morning, my friend, when you take communion, that's what you're doing. You're confessing your sins. You're actually confessing your self-righteousness and you're getting rid of self-righteousness and you are saying, I trust in the blood of Christ, in the broken body of Christ. I trust in Christ today. I have one last illustration. Last year during Christianity Explored, there was a man, one, one of the people, who, one who became a Christian. Not the only one, but this one was very interesting. 
and we had lunch, and he described the night in the class when we were talking about the fact that people look at the outside performance while God actually looks at the heart. And he said, then, John, you said, and, and uh, it was on the screen as well in our discussion, let's just suppose that we take a movie projector and connect it to your brain, and it broadcasts every thought, every word, every action that you've done for the last 24 hours, and then for the last week, and then for the last year. And he said, I sat there. All of a sudden, I realized that all of my niceness, nicest guy you ever met, I realized that all of my niceness was merely on the outside and that I had never kept the law of God faithfully for the glory of God for one moment. And then he said, John, you went on and told me that God sees everything in my own heart and he sent his son Jesus anyway for me. And I knew I needed and I received his grace that night. You know what else he said? He said, I also learned that my obsession with my outward performance was the very thing that was keeping me from needing the grace of God and needing a Savior. What did he do that night? He cast out the slave woman and her son. Have you done that? Have you renounced self-salvation? And have you received Jesus' salvation? This is the day. This is the day to do that. Will you do that today? Wherever you are in your spiritual walk, the white devil is calling you back to slavery. Renounce it. Cast her out. Cast her out. Who says so? Sarah? No. God says cast her out. And you rest in Christ alone. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, is our Savior. And we come to you through him, through Christ alone. And we tell you that every one of us has baggage. Every one of us has baggage, Lord. Baggage from the white devil. Baggage from thinking you grade on a curve. And today, we renounce that. We stand, as it were, naked before you, helpless before you. And we say, dress us in the righteousness of Christ and help us by your grace to live before you. How we thank you for him who was cut off and cast out into the wilderness for our sakes that we might live. We thank you and we pray for anyone that today says the light went on for me, and I receive that grace. We pray that you bless them and enable them to grow in faith 
in grace. In, in Jesus' name, amen. We come